Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the evening service. Good evening, everyone. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark? For our scripture reading this evening, the book of Mark, chapter 6. And we'll be looking at verses 45 to 52. I'll read from 45 to 52. That is Mark 6. And I begin with verse 45, and typical of Mark, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. That is, I should have said here, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, the Lord Jesus uh, constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went unto, up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to Thee again this evening, acknowledging Your greatness, acknowledging who You are, God, only one God, and Thou art the God. How majestic is Your name, how holy. And Lord, we, we come before You acknowledging that You are creator of all things, and Lord, that you provide for all of our needs and that you love us. Oh Lord, thank you for such great love and mercy towards us. Individually and Lord, even as a, as a church. And Lord, we come before you tonight with thankful hearts indeed that we can gather together freely like this. And pray for those who are uh, meeting with us on Zoom, that you would be with them. Lord, how we pray that you would suit a blessing to each one of us as we come to worship you tonight. And Lord, we come again seeking your guidance concerning a pastor for the work here. Oh Lord, direct, we pray. We lean upon you and we wait. Lord, we pray for those who are not well. Some would have wanted to be here this evening and cannot. How we pray that you would be their strength. May they know the comforting arms of a God who loves, a God who cares, a God who is able to, to, to strengthen. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time together now. Lord, that we might Put aside the worries and cares of the world and think upon your love for us. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you seeking your guidance as we look into your word, as we, Lord, consider your great goodness towards us. Help us, we pray, Lord, to draw near to you and, Lord, that we might be better equipped to serve you, knowing that you are a God who never leaves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A man was working in his home office uh, one evening, trying to get some necessary paperwork done. His little four-year-old daughter was there in the room in the office with him, 
and she was pretty busy moving things around, moving this off the desk, moving that, puttering about, uh, pulling drawers out, making a bit of a nuisance of herself indeed. The father endured the distraction with great patience until the child slammed a drawer on her finger. She screamed in pain, and the man, the father, just, that was it? That was it? He said, that's it? That's it? He took her by the hand, put her outside, and closed the door. Well, later on, her mother found her weeping in her bedroom. What's wrong? What's wrong? She said, does your finger still hurt? No. The little girl sniffled. Well, why are you crying? Because, she says, when, when I pinched my finger, Papa didn't say, oh. <laughs> and as I thought of us, sometimes that's what we need, isn't it? A sympathetic, oh. But we have someone. We have the Lord Jesus, don't we? Indeed, we do have Jesus. And so as I thought of our relationship with the Lord Jesus, uh, God of our salvation, I marvel and praise God for his faithfulness in caring for each one of us who are his children. In the book of Psalms, chapter 37, Psalm, Psalm chapter 37, verses 23 and 24, King David in, in this proclaims, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way, in God's way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord, the same Lord, upholdeth him with his hand. In time of trouble, we can have fear and hurt and confusion, sorrow, uh, stress, and so on, and this is too big. This is too large for us to carry without help. You have experienced it. I have experienced it. There's good news. There's good news. God has the power to help as a verse in Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy, rather, 31. And that is verse 8 reminds us. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. The Lord himself who goes before you, he will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. He's speaking to us. God will never leave nor forsake his own. He even goes before us. You might say to prepare the way. The waves were quite high in Lake Michigan, splashing onto the pier. One day, as a young family was walking towards or going to a, a, a lighthouse. A little girl was overheard saying, Daddy, would you hold my hand when we get to that scary place? Sometimes life can be scary. Life can be scary for us as well. Loss of loved ones, financial problems, health concerns. As we carry these heavy burdens and cares, we long for a strong hand, a strong hand to hold ours and to keep us steady and secure. Isaiah 41, verse 13, encourages us with these words from God. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. When life gets scary, God will help us. God is there, and he holds us in his strong hand. And we ought to find comfort in that. By the way, that's our topic this evening, God's caring hands. As I considered the way God cares for his children, I was struck by the way God uses expressions that we can understand and I've seen that often. God wants us to understand. We all know how reassuring a human hand is. A mother's hand caring for a child. A mother's hand uh, 
the mother uses her hands to, to caress, to hold, to burp, you name it, to soothe. That's what the mother does with her hand to meet the child's need. But the Lord God uses very similar descriptions of his care for us, his children. The Bible speaks about the hand of God and what God's hand can do. Now, he doesn't have a hand like human uh, beings have. The Lord says, the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. The term hand of God refers to the power of God. The power of God, figuratively, God has a mighty hand of power. And we read that in Scripture. It's this powerful hand that leads you and me through our life's journey. And we ought to rejoice for that. We read in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, verses 23 and uh, 24. Verses 23 and 24, Joshua, speaking to the Israelites, says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before, from before you, until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God. This evening, I'd like us to just look at a sampling first of the Old Testament passages that refer to God's hand. There are many more, of course, but we'll look at some on different occasions. King David recognized the, the hand of God in his life. Uh, for example, Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verses 13 to 15, I read, For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. But, verse 14, I trusted in thee. O Lord, I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. David, during these difficult times, recognized in verse 15, My times are in thy hand. The hand of God. It was May 28, 1992 when Iris had gone through her cancer experience operation, that her Aunt Leela Whitcomb shared with her uh, something she had memorized. It was a, a hymn from the old Sankey book. Some of you remember the Sankey a hymn book. She did that while she was in seminary. Now Aunt Leela was in a nursing home at this time. Uh, she said it had helped her often through those many years and it speaks of God's hand. Here it is. My times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely to thy care. My times are in thy hand. Whatever they may be, pleasing or painful, dark or bright, as best may seem to thee. My times are in thy hand. Why should I doubt or fear? My father's hand will never cease, rather never cause his child a needless tear. My times are in thy hand. Jesus, the crucified, the hand my cruel sins had pierced, is now my guard and guide. In Psalm 63, verse 8, David is in the wilderness of trial. God was holding him, and David proclaims, My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholds me. In First Chronicles chapter 29, when David had gathered many supplies for the temple which Solomon would later build, David had a time of praise as he dedicated what had been prepared. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 to 13, 
David blessed the Lord before all the people with these words in verse, verses 12 and 13. He says, Both riches and honor come from thee, came, come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Interesting to note that many years later in Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 6, when King Jehoshaphat prayed fervently that God would help them against their enemies, he used similar words, saying, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? These men recognize the power and might are in God's hand, God's caring hand. It was later when Isaiah foretells the Babylonian captivity, he also gives comforting words in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 40, 10 and 11, saying, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. God is shown having a strong hand, but he not only is sovereign as a sovereign God who rules with strength, notice the tender words of verse 11. Those same hands feed his flock like a shepherd. The hands pick, us, pick up his little lambs and hold them close to himself, and he gently leads those that are with young. How lovingly he cares for his own. We then have a statement in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. And these words ought to touch our hearts as well and cause us to marvel at God's great love and for his children. Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. It begins, Isaiah 49, 14 to 16, but Zion, the nation, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. God answers, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. On the palms of his hands, indelible ink, I, I never was interested in having a tattoo. Maybe you people are interested in having a tattoo, but uh, the uh, radiology people thought that I should have a tattoo. Uh, so I did have three little dots <laughs> put on my stomach. Just trust me, the three little dots on my stomach. I thought, wow, that hurts. I know I see some people with all kinds of tattoos and I think I would be just out of it. <laughs> oh my. Anyway, this description reminds us of God's great grace. Our interests are continually before him. He is intimately aware of everything that goes on in our lives. Intimately aware of everything that goes on in our lives. We are etched, in a sense, not only on his hands, but on his heart, for all eternity, never to be erased, never to be removed. Now, continuing through the Old Testament, after the captivity, we see both Ezra and Nehemiah recognizing God's hand, providing for them, 
when the king gave them everything they needed to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. It's in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 6, that I want to read. Uh, Chapter 7 of Ezra, verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God. In Nehemiah chapter 2, the end of verse 8, we hear Nehemiah saying, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. God's caring hand. In these verses we note the hand of God guiding his children, leading his own. In him, you and I, can find refuge and strength in our time of need. We're reminded, though, that God uses his hand in judgment as well. In the book of Exodus, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, we see the Lord's hand upon Egypt. And I read, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For If thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous murrain or plague. The king of Egypt was warned that God would use his hand of judgment. And I was thinking, you mustn't forget the record of God's dealing with Belshazzar. Remember in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar is holding a great feast with, I think it's a, a thousand of his lords and lords and ladies and how many people there were. Can you imagine? They were having a good time drinking wine, says, with thousands. Belshazzar, he wasted no time. He, he wanted to have the golden uh, cups and, and the silver cups that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and were there. Bring them, bring them. We'll drink the wine out of those. And they drank the wine and praised the God of wood and idols and so on. They drank. And here comes the hand of God in judgment. In the same hour, that must have been frightening. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. It means, Belshazzar, your kingdom is finished. That's what it means. Your days are over. Your days are numbered. You've been weighed in a balance and found wanting. Your enemies, the Medes and the Persians, will get your kingdom, Belshazzar. Yes, God's hands can be used in judgment as well as favor. God uses many pictures to illustrate how he cares for us. Since we understand physical care, God has chosen to use comparisons that we understand, as well as the use of the expression, God's hand, Another illustration is found in Psalm 91, verse 4. We read there, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. See, the the psalmist has rejoiced because those who trust in the Lord find in verse 2, a little bit earlier, that this God is personal. He's a personal God. He is my refuge, it says there in verse 2, and my fortress. When the psalmist surrenders his rights to God, there are benefits. God delivers the trusting soul from dangers, and here we see the comparison. Like a mother bird or a hen, God covers that one with his feathers and gives him or her security under his wings. Can you see the picture? 
I like this story. A few years ago, Mrs. Mary Allen, who is now with the Lord, was visiting her daughter uh, Lillian in British Columbia. And those who remember Mrs. Allen, Mrs. Allen never, never uh, missed an opportunity to share the Word of God with others. Uh, it's similar to what her daughter-in-law Linda does right now, and we know that. That's while visiting her daughter, Mrs. Allen uh, encouraged her teenage granddaughter to memorize Scripture. Along with another teenage girlfriend, Julie was her name, and together they memorized Psalm 91, verse 4, that we just read. And Mrs. Allen carefully explained what went on before and after, explained that this verse and the verses around it were there to illustrate how God cares for his children. Now, a few days later, the girlfriend, Julie, was working her Saturday job in a large department store. A young man entered the store armed, and he demanded that one of the clerks give him the cash in the till. That's before we were using credit cards. There used to be cash in the till. So this young man, armed with a gun, demanded the cash. A hush came over the staff, as you can imagine. Everyone froze in place, and suddenly there was a loud voice saying, God, send your feathers. Please send your feathers, God. <laughs> Julie, Julie could hardly believe that she had called out those words. And that young man could hardly believe it either because he turned around and ran out of that store supposedly so fast. But Julie had to explain Psalm 91, verse 4, to the group of people there. Remember, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Mrs. Allen was telling us that uh, about that experience. She said that those two girls insisted that Mrs. Allen teach them more verses from the Bible. See, God knows exactly what we need and on that occasion, on that occasion, his loving care was compared to the protection of feathers. Look at Psalm 91, verse 1. There's more. It says there, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. His hand, his feathers, and now his shadow. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this, and I quote what he said, that you must be near to your friend to walk in his shadow. So there must be great access to God, great familiarity with him. Unquote. How privileged we are. You and I, to be able to to be so close to our God and get protection from his shadow. These are comparisons. But they help us understand God's care for his own. Francis Havergal, you remember a, a hymn writer, uh, wrote many precious hymns, and she published her last poems under the title, Under His Shadow. And think about uh, Psalm 91, verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The preface that she gives, uh, in the preface she gives the reason for the title, Under His Shadow, and I quote what she says here. She says, I seem to see four pictures suggested by that. Number one, under the shadow of a rock in a weary plain. Secondly, under the shadow of a tree. Thirdly, closer still, under the shadow of his wing. Fourthly, nearest and closest, in the shadow of his hand. Surely, she says, that hand must be the pierced hand that may often press us sorely and yet evermore encircling, upholding, and shadowing. End of the quote. Ira Sankey, 
in one of his hymns wrote, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. He too felt protection, the protection of the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't begin to describe the gracious hands of God, the Son, and the New Testament as the Lord Jesus Christ used his hands to supply the needs of so many. And I'm going to give a few examples. In Luke chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the coffin of the widow's son. In Mark 1, verses 30 and 31, Jesus took Peter's sick mother-in-law by the hand and lifted her up and healed her. In Matthew 9, verse 25, Jesus did the same with Jairus' daughter. In Mark 7, verse 33, Jesus put his hands on the ears and tongue of the man who was deaf and mute and healed him. In Luke 13, verse 13, Jesus put his hands on the woman who had been infirmed, bent over, we're told, for 18 years, and she became well. Luke 22, verse 50 and 51, even when he was being arrested, Jesus reached out his hand to restore the ear of the high priest's servant. And as I said, there, there are numerous other occasions. However, I'd like us to look more closely at John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. The wonderful words of how safe we are in the hands of Jesus and the Father, if we are his sheep. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and, I fo and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. How comforting. How comforting to remember how secure we are as believers. We are guaranteed eternal life. Nobody can take us out of the hand of the Good Shepherd. And if that isn't enough, the Father's hand is holding us as well. That is double security, isn't it, for us? As I looked at passages that describe God's hand caring for us, I was struck by another expression. Describing God's care. It is in Psalm 32, verse 8. We read, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. His hands, his feathers, his shadow, and now his eyes. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You'll have to study that on your own because there are a number of other places where we can read about uh, lessons about the eyes of God, but it's a lesson all by itself. However, there's one more story, a story that combines these thoughts. We read already in Mark's version of the story at the beginning in Mark 6, verses 45 to 52. But we need to read Matthew's version in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33 to get the whole picture. And, and you know it. Well, the Lord Jesus has just fed the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. Following that, Jesus sent his disciple away in a boat, telling them to go, uh, go ahead of him to Bethsaida on the other side of the sea. Jesus sent the crowds of people home, and he went by himself, we are told, into a mountain to pray. Mark tells us in Mark 6, verse 48, that it was evening, it was dark, and he, that is Jesus, 
saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. Matthew tells us that the ship was in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves because the wind was against them. They were having trouble. Remember now, Jesus was on a mountain praying, but he saw his disciples in distress. Jesus was praying, but he didn't forget his disciples. He kept watching them. He saw their plight, and he came to their aid. Jesus watches us as we struggle, and he comes to our aid when we need him. Are you facing troubles? Are you facing times that are tough? Remember, Jesus is watching your boat. He's watching you. This passage uh, was our reading the day that the doctor told me that uh, it seemed like my cancer after the prostate operation was still lingering in the prostate bed, I think they call that. And I needed to have some radiation. You know, we worried that there might be some rough times and so on. There may be yet, but we're reminded that the Savior, Savior is watching. He's keeping an eye on us. And I'm glad this is halfway through now of 33. So I've done three weeks of that is three, 33 sessions. Uh, one per day except the weekends. I'm thankful for weekends. But uh, they said, uh, ordinarily you get really tired and you know, midway and towards the end and after you'll be very tired and so on. But you know, I'm thankful. And there are other little things that happened as well. And I, Maybe I should have mentioned to Braden if I fall asleep, maybe have another hymn or something, just, just in case here. <laughs> But the story doesn't, that is the story we're in looking at, doesn't stop there. This was the same occasion when Peter walked on the water. He wanted to go to Jesus. And there was the strong winds. And uh, soon caused Peter to fear as he was attempting to walk towards Jesus. Strong wind, Peter's fearing, his helplessness seems to, strike out a, a little spark of faith. A spark of faith that the storm can't blow out. And like David, Peter cries out, Lord, save me! Immediately, the outstretched hand of his Lord grasps his and brings Peter to safety. Can you see the picture? A gentle rebuke, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? But it seems to infuse courage in, in Peter's heart. The storm runs just as high as it did, the water's splashing all around him, of course, blinding his eyes. If he lets go of, of the, the hand for one moment, he'll be going down. But as long as he's got Jesus' hand and Lord is holding his hand. He's safe. He's safe as, as if his feet were on a rock. He keeps his eyes on the Lord Jesus. And he leans upon his upholding arm. And he doesn't see what the Bible calls the waves boisterous. His fear and his danger are both gone because he holds Christ and is upheld by him, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter experienced both the watchful eye and the saving hand of God that night. The story of a young lad named Harry. It happened at a daily vacation Bible school a true story, and it's recounted by Mrs. Evelyn McCluskey. I don't know the lady, but it's a long story, a bit long, but I'd like to share it with you. Harry, little Harry, 
stood dejectedly just outside the circle. The other children had been enjoying games. Finally, the visiting teacher said, Won't you join the game this time, Harry? He glared at her. There was a moment of bitter silence. Then he, he turned and walked away. The teacher followed. It's bad enough to be the way I am, stormed Harry, without you rubbing it in. I beg your pardon. I didn't know there was any reason for your not playing. The eyes of a wounded soul searched her face. Ain't you noticed that my clothes are different from other kids? He indicated a large pocket on the right-hand side. His hand was in his pocket. I don't never take it out except when I forget. I haven't seen your hand. I really didn't know that you don't play as others play. If you have injured your hand, I'm sorry. Let's go over here while you show me in private. Reluctantly, he turned his back to the crowd, moved with the teacher to a private place. He pulled his hand from his pocket and truly shocked the teacher by the little stub and its four little boneless pieces of finger and the larger piece of boneless flesh for a thumb. The whole hand of this eleven-year-old was about two inches wide by two and a half inches long. His other hand, his left hand, was nearly the size of a, a small man's hand. This, too, he kept encased in another pocket. I was born this way, Harry declared defiantly, and I don't even like your lessons. If God made me, I hate God. I can't do nothing like other kids. The teacher's heart throbbed. Tears blurred her view of the strange little hand. Suddenly, she felt very helpless. She knew Harry needed immediate help. At that moment, he said, now his voice was softer. I don't blame the kids for not wanting to take hold of me when we make the circle for drop the handkerchief or farmers in the dell. Nobody wants to touch me. The teacher put out her hands and covered his small, deformed one. God wants to touch you. Please don't hate God. He has given you hands like this so that you will always be close to him. If you had hands like those of every other boy, you might not know how beautiful it is to have God holding on to you. Did you ever hear how shepherds used to break the leg of a little lamb? If the lamb showed signs of getting into trouble and danger by falling over rocks or being caught in bramble bushes, the shepherd would actually break the lamb's leg. Then he would tenderly put splints around the broken part and carry the little lamb in his tunic near his heart. Then this little lamb with the broken leg would have the best care of all the lambs and all the sheep in the whole flock. And by the time the leg would get well, that little lamb would know the shepherd's voice and would know how the shepherd had whispered his love and tenderness. And ever afterwards, that little lamb would stay close to him. Harry, before you were born, before you ever thought of disobeying God, he loved you so much that he gave you these hands. And all the time he must have thought, now, Harry can't do things for himself, so he will depend on me to do them for him. While he's close to my heart, I'll love him so much and tell him so many wonderful things and give him such wonderful things and give him such a fine mind and such a warm heart that everyone will marvel. And because he endures the hands he has now and loves me, I will give him beautiful hands when I give him his new body. And I will give him special honors as my son when he comes to live with me. Did you ever think, Harry, of the wonderful things God has made with his hands? And now, in heaven, the right hand of God the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ, with hands scarred with the nails by which they hung on the cross. Do you know why he hung there, Harry? It was because you were going to have to die and be in darkness and in pain forever and ever and ever. The Lord Jesus Christ loved you so much 
that he died in your place. Let's look at this message in John 10, verse 27 and 28. It says there, Harry, My sheep hear my voice, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. See the small piece of chalk, Harry? I'm placing it in my hands. Now, see whether you can pull them out apart. Harry's strong left hand seemed to have power of, of two hands as he pulled on the fingers. Say, he said, how can you hold so tight? Because, she said, it's harder to take something out of the hand than from any other place. Now think of being in God's hand. Nothing ever could snatch you out. You have two things to think about, Harry. One, that God wants to hold your hand. The other, that he wants you to be safe in his hand. That's something to think about, all right, the little boy said. I guess I need God more than the other kids do after all. The teacher talked with him for a few minutes more, and they bowed their heads while she held both his hands in hers and dedicated him to the Lord. Now the next day, all the boys and girls were learning John 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The teacher drew two big circles on the floor, side by side. In one, she wrote the word death. In the other, life. One at a time, the children came, stood in the circle named death, while they began to practice their memory verse. When they came to the place, it's passed from death, they stepped over into life. A dozen or more children had thoughtlessly recited the words, and God, through the motion, gone through the motion from stepping from death into life, when Harry came forward. He immediately stepped into the life circle and said, I don't need to go in that death because I stepped into life yesterday. And God is holding my hand. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. And he held it up before the group and said, if you've been so curious to see this, here it is. Take a look at it. You can't tease me anymore because I'm going to have a new one when God gets through with me down here. Please don't think it's a funny hand and don't be afraid of it. Then he held up his large hand. And this fist, he says, is not going to sock you anymore for teasing me. I guess I can take it all right and you can't hurt me because I'm in God's hands. Very solemnly now, he turned to the teacher. Now, don't you think we'd better pray? A hush fell upon the group, but there was a lump in the teacher's throat. The delay made Harry feel that he should be the one to pray. Then he said, Oh God, it's awful good to be in your hands. It's sort of grand to think about you dying on Calvary. And oh God, make us all to believe it. For Jesus' sake, amen. As I prepared the message, uh, tonight's message, I was thinking of myself, but I was also thinking about you. Young and old who have gone through trials, you're still concerned about your physical, emotional, spiritual needs. I wanted us to rest assured Rest assured that the Lord God will never forsake his own. One hymn writer expresses it well. It says, Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Then the author adds, things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest, clothed in everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here, 
doubt and care and self-resign, while he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. We read in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest on your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And for some, even some who are listening tonight on Zoom, if you've not yet come to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that's your first step. To come to Him just as you are, admitting that you are a sinner, just a poor sinner, admitting that you need the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and you invite Jesus into your heart and he will come he will come and control your life then you too you too can know that his hands will lead you along life's journey you will know the safety of being held in gracious hands and the God the Father's hand as well and you will rest in the shadow of his hand. And yes, in your time of need, he will cover you with his feathers as a mother hen covers her chicks. And together, together, we can know this, that as his eye is carrying on the sparrow, caring for the sparrow, watching as his eye was watching his disciples on that stormy night, his eye will continually be watching over us as we trust in him. And as I was saying, remember that if his eye is caring for the sparrow, we don't need to be discouraged because we know he's watching over us as well, isn't he? 